If you're visiting today, uh, let me tell you what we've been doing during our sermon series. We've been looking at the book of Ruth, and you know, in many ways that title, uh, the book named after Ruth, doesn't really capture all that the book is about, because the story is really about people who've gone through incredible suffering, meaning especially Naomi, Ruth, and they begin to experience God's covenant faithfulness, his love, his hesed love, and it begins to change their lives. That's what the story is all about. And we are coming up on chapter 3. It's a real turning point in the story, uh, especially for Naomi. So please give your attention to the reading of God's word. A reading from the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would send your spirit here today so that these words that we just read, the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, would allow us to see your love to us and to your people, fill our hearts with great hope, give us eyes to see and ears to understand what you would have us to know so that we would move out as a people of faith together to serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, our family is a big fan of one particular reality TV show called The Amazing Race. I know uh, perhaps some of you watch it, but the premise of the show is that teams of two are on a race around the world. And we've been watching this show for years and years and years. And as our daughter's gone off to uh, college, 
We've actually waited for her to come home during Christmas break so we can catch up on the latest season. And uh, this is how important this show is to us. But recently, in this last season, teams were in Switzerland and found themselves facing a roadblock. And a roadblock is a task one team member must complete in order to move ahead in the race. And the catch is, you have to decide who's going to do this task before it is absolutely clear what it actually is. And the roadblock was a bungee jump from Verzaska Dam. Now, imagine doing a bungee jump from the Hoover Dam. Okay, And this is no ordinary bungee jump because it's actually the highest bungee jump in all of Europe at 220 meters. Make about one-eighth of a mile and second highest in the world. So if you knew this was the task you were going to face, you may not volunteer for it, but it's too late by then. You know, and as they interview all the contestants who actually do the jump, they had to deal with a few things. They had to overcome the height And if that's not enough, you have to actually have trust that this rubber band, that's essentially what it is, right? Bungee cord is actually going to hold you. But they needed something else. Everyone started talking about how they didn't want to let their teammate down. They didn't want their child at home to think dad gave up or mom gave up. Love... Thinking of others does something. It it actually leads you to act. Love actually grants you courage you didn't know you had. Love can actually open the door to increase faith or to actually experience faith. It leads you somewhere, you see? And I think this is what is going on with Naomi as chapter 3 begins. Because here she was in chapter 1, if you recall, you know, she was thinking, I've had this incredibly challenging life. Remember, she moved from Israel to Moab with her husband and two sons because there was a famine. And soon after, her husband dies. Her two adult sons, who've married Moabite women, also dies. Here she is, probably in her early 50s, widowed, outlived her own children, and she's thinking, Lord, what? my life is bitter. All I've experienced is hardship. And by chapter 3, something is beginning to percolate in her. She begins to experience God's grace and mercy to her through Ruth, her daughter-in-law who has followed her back to Israel. And as her faith and trust in God begins to reemerge, Something begins to take place in Naomi. Her trust in God doesn't lead her to a place of more comfort, ease. Rather, it actually moves her out into a place of self-giving love, of hesed. Because trusting in God and the experience of God's love actually allows her to think beyond herself and begins to think about those around her And what we begin to see is for each of the three characters in this narrative, for Naomi, for Ruth and Boaz, God begins to show them that he is at work in their lives. And this thing is headed in a totally new direction. You know, uh, since the end of chapter 2, two months have passed. 
Hope has to turn to trust for Naomi. And she's moving out of this place, like I said, from self-absorption, sadness, suffering, all of those things that sometimes traps us into the freedom of looking to the need of others. Look at verse 1 with me. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Before we get to anything else, I want us to stop and think about what she is saying. Naomi is doing something. She's saying, wait a second, Ruth, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Her heart has turned to the needs of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Remember, Ruth is the one who's followed her. Ruth is the one in chapter 2 has gone out and made sure they have food. She's gone to work. Make sure that her mother-in-law is utterly cared for. Ruth has been Naomi's source of income, likely her closest friend and companion. And she's saying to her, I need to think about you. And in verse 2, she says, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And what she is saying is, she says, Ruth, I want you to find rest. I want you to be taken care of. I want you to marry a good man. I want you to have a better life, even though it may mean for me, things will change. Of course, if you with someone else, you're not going to give me all your time. You're not going to be my main companion in widowhood. I may be alone, but what is important is not me, but you. I can't have you spend the rest of your life with me. I can't bear to see you without rest. You know, this is self-giving love. This is what begins to happen once Naomi's faith and trust is restored in God. Naomi is attempting all of a sudden to orchestrate a situation for Ruth for her lifelong flourishing at great expense to herself. Now, what is she suggesting? She says in verse 3, what? Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Okay, what is she suggesting? Because you're like, what is this? How's Iron going to explain this? You know, uh, the threshing floor was where at the end of the harvest, all the grain was brought together. It's a public place. It's a cool place. It's a place where... The end of the harvest meant people were going to celebrate. They were going to eat and drink and say, hey, we've worked hard for a year and here is our harvest. And when you read this, it sounds like Naomi is saying to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, make yourself as appealing as possible and wait for him to be in a very good mood. And when he goes to sleep, okay, do whatever he tells you. I'm not giving this advice to my daughters, okay? And some commentators are trying to read this and understand what this is. And they're saying, well, Naomi is being really, really uh, rash here and she's overstepping her bounds. Others are saying, Naomi is saying flat out to Ruth, you need to seduce Boaz. Okay? We're going to get to what really happened. 
But here's the point I want us to see about Naomi here. Okay? Naomi is acting in the tradition of women in the scriptures who demonstrate faith and are venerated in the scriptures. Think about Deborah in the book of Judges. Think about Rahab in the book of Joshua who helps the Israelite spies. Think about Tamar in Genesis 38 who demands justice from her father-in-law, Judah. These are women who stand up and say, it's time to do something. They go to the men and say, hey, you need to do what you're supposed to do. One commentator uh, on this book of Ruth says, Naomi forces the issue because Boaz hasn't done anything. The harvest is over. And you know what that means? Ruth is likely not to see Boaz or be in the field for another 10 months. And Naomi is saying, I believe we just need to give Boaz a little nudge and he will do the right thing here. But it's a huge gamble because she's trying to care for Ruth. They're both taking a great risk. It all depends on Boaz. But this is the only place Naomi's renewed faith is going to take her. Self-giving love. Utter dependence upon God. Because they are trusting God's covenant faithfulness is going to work out. See, because when you've been through hard things like Naomi, you lose your husband. You lose both your sons. You feel like you have nothing. And yet she begins to understand there's the hidden hand of God which is Ruth in her life. It leads to greater dependence on God. And she begins to move out of her comfort zone into ministry and acting on faith. See? That's the first thing I want us to see about Naomi. That's what she does. Renewed faith has moved out into loving and caring for Ruth here. And let's look at Ruth in verses 6 to 8. So what does Ruth do? She does everything her mother-in-law tells her to do. She gets ready. She goes out. She's waiting and uh, making sure no one sees her. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong here. You know, if you think about Ruth's situation, it's dark. What if she lays down at the feet of the wrong guy, you know? Uh, What if Boaz wakes up screaming, who are you? You are a seductress trying to trap me here. You know, this could end up like a really, really bad situation. Boaz... Who knows, he could take advantage of her and never acknowledge it. That's happened before in the scriptures. Go back to Tamar's story. It's a very precarious situation. And in light of all of this, she goes down and does exactly as uh, Naomi has told her. And in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up. And I love this in verse 9. He's startled and he's like, who are you? Like, wait a second, wait, why are you here? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. 
Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz is utterly shocked. And Ruth says, cover me. Basically, this is her way of saying, will you marry me? Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You are a close, close relative. Now, here's the thing you have to remember. You go back to Naomi's instructions to Ruth. Did Naomi tell her to say anything? No. He, she did not tell her to say any of this. And as she says this, Boaz says, I will do for you all that you ask. What is Ruth asking for here? Ruth is not only looking to Boaz to say, will you marry me? But she is looking for someone to put Naomi back on her land and restore her husband Elimelech and her son's names and property in Israel. That's what this word redeemer and this reference to Boaz as redeemer is all about in this story. Because in God's law, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 25, God had provisions for caring for those who get into financial hardships. And if you somehow lose your land, this is what God said. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. This is Leviticus 25, 25. You can come and pay that debt. And that land can return to the family. And Ruth, a Moabite, is coming to Boaz and saying, Hey, marry me. And not only that, I need you to be the redeemer, as it says in Leviticus chapter 25. You have a financial obligation as a redeemer to Naomi. You want me? You also need to take care of Naomi? This is a package deal. I mean, this woman is bold. Ruth is essentially lecturing Boaz on his obligation to her and Naomi. Imagine this, a servant demanding the boss to marry her, a Moabite making the demand of an Israelite, a woman making a demand of a man, a poor person making the demand of a rich man. See, is this the kind of courage that is a sign of the hidden hand of God in this story? And as Boaz says, Ruth could have had other men in verses 10 and 11. Younger, richer. We don't know why she didn't other than to believe she's gone to the one who could not only help her, but also Naomi. You see what's going on here? Ruth is expressing Hesed love, taking a chance, taking a bigger chance, because he may say no to this. She doesn't know when she goes into it, but she's saying, I care too much for my mother-in-law. I'm going to make sure she is cared for. It's not good enough that I'm the only one cared for here. This is how Hesed love works. But the twist in the story is this. Boaz says, well, 
but here's the problem. There's another redeemer who's closer. Yikes. Okay, I am a redeemer, but there's someone else in line who is actually closer, who has the first right of refusal to this package deal of Ruth and the land. And Ruth could end up with him. And he may not like Naomi. He may refuse. He may take this on. But here's what Boaz says. Hey, I will make sure you are taken care of. I know you want to be with me. I'm going to do my best to make it happen. But we're going to do this right according to God's law. And you know what Ruth's Hesed love got her? It got her a complicated, more complicated, more precarious situation than she started out with. But my friends, faith sometimes works this way. Active trust in God and moving forward in love doesn't always make us safer the way we think about safety. It doesn't mean all our needs get met. But stepping out in self-giving love means that we need to grow even deeper in trusting God in these more complicated situations. See, And this is where Ruth finds herself, and because what? She's complicated the situation for the sake of Naomi. Okay. And lastly, let's look at, look at Boaz, and then we'll look at implications for us. Some of us are saying, well, what happened on that threshing floor that night? You know, there's a lot of suggestive language here and innuendo. But you can't help miss the way Boaz addresses Ruth. He calls Ruth what? Daughter. He tells her, you are a worthy woman. Everything you ask, I'm going to do for you. Don't fear. He's been caring for her. He's making sure her reputation is intact as she's leaving. We only find out they are together as man and woman in chapter 4 after they're married. I don't think anything happened on that threshing floor. You know what is going on here? And that's remarkable given the fact that the beginning of Ruth tells us this is in the days of the judges. Where men were not kind to women. They took advantage of them. There were lots of harsh things. People did whatever they wanted. And they did what was right in their own eyes. And here's Ruth and Boaz saying, no, no, no. We are going to be people who follow God's way here. We're going to honor each other. We're going to honor our families. We're going to honor our culture, our God's laws. They move forward. I mean, Boaz could have said, oh, my gosh, this woman, I don't know what she's doing. I got to protect myself. Yelling as soon as he discovered Ruth here. Shaming her. Ruining Naomi's chances for redemption at all. He can say, I had nothing to do with this. Again, the worst possible impulses are there. But he is a man of integrity. He honors her. He honors God. He doesn't take what's not his. And he's able to say, hey... The God I serve is a covenant God. He's a God who redeems. He has acted in love and commitment to me. And he says, I will go and do the same. This is what Boaz begins to do. He agrees to marry Ruth. And he's saying, you know what? Let me figure out how to make this right. 
But I want you to stay here until the morning. I don't want anyone thinking something different of you. He makes sure she goes home with grain. Part of it is, I think, to protect her reputation in case anyone thinks Ruth came out for different reasons. Okay? And you know what begins to happen when you begin to trust God and to love others? One thing that happens is you often become an answer to prayer. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz greeted Ruth with these words. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May God bless you, Ruth. And you know what she says in verse 9? Remember that prayer you prayed? Why don't you spread your wing over me, your servant? So if you come to me with an idea about, Iron, have you thought about doing this ministry? I may tell you, that's an amazing idea. By the way, have you thought that perhaps God has put that idea in your mind so that you can possibly be the answer to that prayer? I mean, Ruth finally gets home. She has some explaining to do, right? She goes back to Naomi. And Naomi and Ruth realize something. Boaz has said, hey, you see this grain? This is kind of my token, my down payment. I got you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. You know, it's interesting, after this, we don't hear from Naomi or Ruth in the rest of the book. Because there's faith and trust in knowing that God is at work. What are we to make of it? What are the implications for us? Here's the first thing. One of the things the book of Ruth teaches us is whenever you experience God's hesed love for you, his covenant love, his everlasting love, you will always be, go beyond what is required. Love moves into action. That's what the story keeps telling us. You know why? Because God's unmerited love for you so fills you, you no longer have to prove yourself to yourself or to anyone else You no longer need to be paralyzed by self-pity and sadness when tragedies happen, as Naomi was. You begin to see needs around you. You begin to see what others need. And you move out in love with great risk to yourself and inconvenience all at the same time. Because covenant love always goes beyond what is required. And you begin to take risks. You are willing to For the sake of ministry, inconvenience yourself. You're going to give your time, your resources. You find yourself praying for others. You know what you're praying? That they find rest. That things are well with them. That they experience God's love. That the things that have been very heavy on their hearts, you long to see those burdens lifted and taken away and your mind focuses on these things. And let me ask you something. Has God been challenging you in this way, perhaps, lately? Prompting you to extend yourself to others 
And you keep telling yourself, man, I'm just too tired. I can't spare the energy. Man, this is too, much, this is too risky for me. It's, it's too costly. I have to become too vulnerable. It's inconvenient. And perhaps God is saying and giving you a little nudge, enter into that space. Do ministry, care, love, extend yourself. Instead of thinking, this is just too costly, because you begin to realize, I've been a recipient of Hesed love. Love always shows up in action. That's what it tells us in James chapter 2. Faith always shows up in action. In verse 18, Naomi replied to everything that Ruth said with these words, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. He's not going to rest, but he's going to settle it today. You remember in the beginning of chapter 3, Naomi said, I need to find you rest. Now that rest is in someone else's hands who promises they will not rest until it is completed. Do you notice this? They are now trusting that this down payment, the grain they brought, is something that they can fix their eyes on and say, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, in so many ways, our eternal rest depends not on ourselves, our faith, our money, our actions, our good deeds, but actually our Redeemer not resting on our behalf. In this past week, was, uh, we had ascension when Jesus, we commemorate the day Jesus is actually taken up into heaven. And you know what the scripture tells us that Jesus is doing all the time? He's not just taking a vacation, okay? He's, the, he's interceding for us. He is not resting because he wants us to experience rest. And that allows us to say, now trusting God may move us into uncomfortable situations. Ones that God creates for us to experience Hesed and for others to experience Hesed. And this is where faith grows. Where joy takes root. Look, if you're listening and you're like, man, my life's been hard. Kind of like Naomi. Kind of like Ruth. But I'm not experiencing this. I want to just encourage you. Go back and retrace their story here for yourself. And remind yourself, you know, I have a redeemer. This is the gospel. Who has not been resting. Who is always for you. Even the most painful moments, the greatest disappointments, your redeemer has been with you. This is what Naomi has figured out. That God has been providing for her all of this time when she wasn't looking for it. And we go out and we live and we express, we care, we do ministry. I've been struck as we've been reading through the book of Ruth. Did you notice no one's here like in the temple praying all day and pleading to God something would change? I'm not saying that didn't happen, but that's just not the focus of the book. The book is about people embodying God's covenant love in such a way 
that in their decision making, in their thought process, in their relating, the gospel is fleshed out. It's, it's actually pretty remarkable. And it moves people into sacrificial love. See? And it is always costly. Friends, this morning, consider that. The reason you can move out in this way is because you have a Redeemer who is not resting on your behalf until you find rest in Him. And as we come to this table in a minute, we are reminded our Lord died for us. He gave Himself for us as a token of His love. And it is our final redemption we have. And He says, now go, be my disciples, serve, love, extend yourself for the sake of the kingdom. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you that this morning we get to hear words of your Hesed love through the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And we ask that this morning you would give us an extra measure of your love so that we would have the joy of knowing that blessed self-forgetfulness that the scriptures describe so that our eyes would be focused on those around us and the needs among us, so that we would move out in love and ministry. Father, help us to know how to do this. Help us to overcome fear by your love, so that we would be willing to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others, for the sake of the cross, for the gospel. Because it is in those moments that you are made manifest in our midst. And we pray as a congregation we would experience that more and more. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.